Thank you so much for the uh, warm introduction and thank you so much for coming because today is such a lovely day. So I, if I were you, I wouldn't be sitting in the room, but I really appreciate that you came. I'm very excited um, to talk about my research, especially at OFI because I'm so grateful to the OFI people and their wonderful work because otherwise my research wouldn't have been possible at all. Because it was at a very cold, how do I say it? Um, it, it was at one seminar that it, I was based at uh, Oxford Institute of Population Aging. So I just attended casually um, for the Child Poverty Multidimensional Index for ch Children's Poverty Level. And then, so because you know, as you are a research for the older people, you don't really know about the poverty or the multidimensional measure, so you wouldn't have high expectation of what you would be able to get. But there I found this wonderful methodology developed by um, Sabina here and, 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 and John Foster. So I was, um, thanks to that methodology, I was able to uh, measure what I wanted to measure and I'm very excited about the topic. So today it won't be about poverty, but um, so my question is started from this question. So how do we achieve health and happiness in later life? So, of course we need money and the material con conditions and financial resources, but on top of that, I thought, well, we need something more. So I, I started looking. And there has been some suggestions made from um, the act active aging argument or successful aging and productive aging argument. So for instance, um, one of the common ones are running or physical activity. So you need to do the marathon or jogging to, to be healthy in later life. Another one is the um, productive activity. That is a woman who's working at BNQ after her retirement and then Another one is obviously the social activity that you have spent time with people. And these days, even um, uh, doing some cognitive work, such as even learning a new language or new technology is also recommended. It all sounded very good and very nice. But when I talked to um, one of the retired lady that I knew, um, which I would say Mrs. B, and she gave me the permission to quote her, she said, if I have to do all these things that are recommended, I wouldn't have time to go to the toilet. And she, that's literally what she said. And then that gave me, uh, okay, maybe I should think about myself as well because, you know, I don't like to be very, I don't like exercise. I know that's good for me, but I don't like it. And then I'm not that social. So I think to, to, to force someone to do things that you, you may not or may like in one direction is not... Um, not appropriate way of think about things. So, the previous research regarding daily activity and well-being in later life assumed a linear relationship between activity and well-being. So basically, especially the famous one, which is activity theory, that argued that you need to die with your boots on. You, it means you need to be active until you die. And then what they assume is the more activity, the better your health or well-being. But actually, in the empirical work, they have mixed outcomes. And then, for instance, the, one of the well-known one is the voluntary activity, which is very usually known to be very beneficial to your well-being. But the problem is, if you do it too much, for instance, over 100 hours per year, it actually gets negative to your well-being. And the solitary activity as well, it is usually known being alone is not good. 
But for some people, some group of people, being alone is actually positive for your well-being. So it doesn't. So the recommended <coughs> activities doesn't work the same for everybody. But it's very obvious because we say older people, but we uh, think of from age 50 or 60 to the age of 100, and then to treating that all these people as one group and then uh, push them to one direction is really. Um, not a very wise thing to, to do, I, I guess. And also, um, that also creates some kind of um, victimization for older people because in the US, what happens was if you are not productive or not active in old age, people would think you are not useful and then they feel bad. So they just, um, I've read some researches about their interviews that they create a busy lifestyle just to met this, meet this social expectation. So I think it's important to consider the heterogeneity of older people as well as the multidimensional nature of daily life. But more importantly, there is some nature of time, which means we have 24 hours to, to do things. So if we do one activity, a lot of, a lot of time, if we spend a lot of time on one activity, that means we have less time for the others. So we need to consider these um, Perspectives when we think about the relationship between daily activity and well-being. So I came up with a concept called multidimensional life balance. And then, but before we get into the conceptual thing, um, I want to introduce the example of um, Arthur Rubinstein, who is a famous pianist. And then people asked him, "How do you continue to be an excellent concert pianist at the age of 80?" And then he said, well, there are certain skills that he used. One is he played fewer pieces, but practiced them more often. And also he used contrast in tempo. That means he, he used to be able to play very fast, but afterwards what he did was he played the slower part more slowly. So even though he can't catch up his speed, um, people would feel the contrast. So from this kind of um, explanation, Baltic and Baltic, who, who's uh, developed the model of successful aging, came up with the idea of adaptation and compensation. So in later life, you have to have some challenges and loss, but um, like Rubinstein, we do make adaptation and compensation. So what they argued was it's important to look at the interplay between selection, optimization, and compensation. That means, uh, base, that basically means we, uh, we should not assume that older people can do everything, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that they can't do anything. So there is some kind of compensation and adaptation that we make. And also, so that, that's why I thought, okay, so it would be important to maintain the balance in later life by maintaining balance, I mean to make a way of adaptation for older people facing all the challenges and opportunities in later life. So I thought, okay, what matters would be then, rather than the activity maximization, but the ha having overall balance in daily activity across different uh, multidimensional domains. So I love this quote uh, from Alpira uh, Foster, this one. So how we measure can importantly influence how we come to understand it, how we analyze it, and how we create policies to influence it. 
And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of Heidi in Alps. And Heidi is living in Alps with her grandfather. And then she has a friend, a shepherd friend called Peter. And Peter has a grandmother who's very old and blind. So what she does is she sits in the house all the time and she... Um, sorry. So this one... So this is the spinning wheel. So with the spinning wheel, she, she produced clothes for and mend clothes for her grandson. So if we think of the traditional approach, if we look at her day from the traditional approach, her score would be very low because she's trapped in the house. She doesn't do any physical exercise. She's not active in the traditional terms. But if we look at her, if we look at her life from a multidimensional approach, I think we, we can see a different picture. For instance, Heidi visits her every day and they spend time with her and then they read together. So for a social perspective or cognitive dimension, she may have a very different um, result. But these unidimensional measures is not reflecting such diversity. So the multidimensional life balance framework is similar to a five-a-day approach in the UK. I find it very funny when I first came here. Every time you go to a um, store, the, the supermarket, you see this vegetable bag with five-a-day. <coughs> this would uh, consist of your five-a-day, five-a-day. So I wanted to know what it is. And then that means eat a minimum of 400 grams or five portions of fruit and vegetables a day to lower the risk of serious health problems. And then... If you don't like broccoli, you don't have to eat broccoli. You can eat carrot instead, for instance. So any kinds, depending on your preference, you can eat them. And how, how much you eat more, it doesn't matter, as long as you meet the minimum. So I thought, OK, we could do that for the activity level as well. So for instance, these are just uh, dimensions. I will, I will go back to that later. So if, for instance, it's like five a day, we have some activity dimensions, and then we do some of them. Um, so I would explain again. So, so for instance, let's, it will be easier to think about Peter's grandmother's day, right? So in terms of her, if we have a minimum, like the five-a-day kind of thing, if we have the minimum threshold, and if we think of the Peter's grandmother's physical activity, she wouldn't meet the threshold, right? But, and also for out and about, she wouldn't meet the threshold. But because Heidi and Peter spend a long time together and they read a lot and she produced lots of clothes, she would meet the other three. And in the novel, she says she's very happy. So um, if it's a simplified explanation, but by looking at from the multidimensional approach, we would be able to see depending on person's preference or conditions, how their day is constructed and how it's related to well-being in a different way. So, um, like in the poverty measure, I think it's important to, because, you know, okay, that can be your preferences, but then can we just leave whatever lifestyle that we want to leave? Well, that's not true, because, for instance, if you are alone all the time, sit in front of TV and then eating very bad food and then doing nothing and feel bored and trapped in the house. So if there's a multiple deprivations in terms of your activities, I think that would be a problematic group. And I think the beauty of AF method is we uh, can see this uh, using the measurement 
And also what we can do is afterwards, for instance, if we develop an exercise program, a community exercise program, then they may need these two dimensions later. And also, um, for instance, by keeping the bus passes for the UK people, then you know, uh, the out and about dimension can be enhanced. So I think that's why it's important to think of their life from the multidimensional perspective and then also identify which area that could be helped. Um, so to see how it works in the real data come, I use this um, data from the UK and then apply it as a, a, an illustrative application. <coughs> so the method is, I think you may, many of you may be familiar with our current foster methods, I wouldn't go into detail, but um, it is assumed that a person is poor if she is deprived in at least K dimensions. So in my case, I, I, I also build the uh, dimensions as well as indicators. And also, uh, the reason I chose the method is because it's, it has flexibility. So I can, I can use it even for a time diary data, which is quite uh, different from the uni universally widely used ones. And also the decomposability, because I can see how, if you don't have this balance, how different in your day is from the decomposability. Um, also, the uh, one thing I want to do in the future is I want to measure how it changes across time and how it differs by cross-country level. And another one important work was the Gross National Happiness Index. And that, because I was looking at the balance, which is positive achievement, so rather than poverty, I needed some positive measure, and thank, thankfully there was this work by Akira, so it was really um, great, of great help for me. And, okay, so basically what I did was, um, okay, so uh, basically what I did was I identified the dimensions and then set up the cutoff point and then assess their overall achievement across dimensions. But before we go into that, I wanted to show you an example of time diary. This is a unique data set of people's day. So how we constructed is, it's 10 minute time slot. So the respondents are asked to write down what they were doing in, for instance, at 7 a.m. by 7.10. And this person was sleeping and had a shower and made a breakfast, ate it, and then uh, take a bus and then start the job. But not only that, we have secondary activities. So people would write down what else they were, they were doing, like news, reading newspaper while eating, and also where they were. So we can tell this, where this person on the specific time of the day, where the person was. And so another thing, very important dimension for me is they, they uh, check whether they were alone or they were with anybody, so they would marked how much time they were really alone or they, was, they spent time together with someone. So this is the dire data. And I used 2000 and 2001 because that is one of the most comprehensible we have. And also I only use the usual day. That means because it's a diary is a sample of your day. So because it, it, it may not be representative of your lifestyle, right? But fortunately, I had a questionnaire that they asked whether it's a usual day for you or not. So I used only usual day uh, diaries and aged over 50. And also, I used the multinational time use study, which is a harmonized version because 
then I can use it for later purpose um, for cross-time comparison or the um, cross-country comparison. So I, I tried to follow the step of how to um, um, build the multidimensional property measure. So in my case, what I did to, to build the multidimensional life balance measure was, <coughs> first of all, I picked up some uh, essential dimensions that are known to be beneficial to older people. So this is based on previous literature because I don't have any, pre any uh, prior research on this subject. So I picked physical, social, cognitive, productive, and out and about. And each has um, proved, how do I say, very consistent link between the level of these activities and the uh, well-being or health outcomes. And afterwards, I selected indicators based on the dimensions which is being active means uh, be, being active and minimizing sedentary. And for each indicator, um, we selected this uh, cutoff point for each indicator. So for instance, for being active means you, uh, if you did at least 30 minutes of moderate to vigorous activities, that means you reached this uh, the threshold for this indicator. And for sedentary activities, um, the dimension, the, the cutoff point is four hours, but it's discretionary uh, sedentary time, so it excludes sleeping and eat, uh, sleeping and um, that kind of involuntary uh, sedentary activities excluded, and paid work as well, and social activity. And so, so if there was uh, some medical, how do I say, suggestions or previous cutoff point, I used it. But if there is no no such things, I use this distributional measure, which is, um, for instance, as the, for the social activity, more than 50% below the median social activity of the whole, whole, whole sample. Um, that can be debatable and can be a bit problematic, but I think by taking this very conservative approach of minimal, minimal level, I think if we can really say, okay, if you don't meet that, that threshold, it, we can also argue that that's not enough kind of Way. But I think that can be revised and then improved in the future. So then how older people in the UK did, right? So first of all, let's look at the, their achievement in each indicator. So the, the dark line is the people who <coughs> achieved, and then the gray ones are who didn't achieve the threshold, the cutoff point in each indicator. So for instance, the being active means that you did uh, more than 30 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity. We can see that 80% reached it. But for minimizing sedentary, which means you sit long time like uh, we all do, um, <laughs> 60% of, of the uh, British older people did not meet the minimum, the, the recommended threshold. And, and so on. But okay, when I looking at this, okay, people are doing pretty well. More people are meeting these indicators than uh, not meeting, except for sedentary activity. But well, that's true. But the more important thing is this person who's being active for 30 minutes a day does not necessarily mean meeting all the indicator threshold in other dimensions. For instance, I know a retired scholar, a man. He goes to gym every day and he does a lot of exercise, two hours. But after that, he's like to sit and then do nothing and very depressed. And then he, conf he confessed that his retirement is so horrible because 
and then I, I think if he improves some of these indicators, it would be better. But see if so if the traditional approach would would um, see him as a how do I say positive side, that I think that is the maybe the reason of the mixed outcomes that we have in the previous research. So what we want to see is then how multidimensionally they do. So 61% of the sample that I have, the, the people aged over 15 in the UK, they reach the multidimensional life fellow, which I will call MLB for the simplicity. Um, so these are defined <coughs> as people who achieve sufficiency in three out of five dimensions or in more than 60% of weighted indicators. And these are people who, are, who did not meet, uh, so who, who lacks um, sufficiency in more than 40% of rated indicators. So I think what my interest lies, who are they, and then what kind of activity they lack. Um, that is the main question. So these are the brief measures from the AF method that I used. One is the, the H is the headcount ratio. Um, That means that the percentage of people who are identified as having multiple deprivations. And A is the average insufficient score. The, this score shows how many, how many dimensions or indicators people lack sufficiency. And this, the multidimensional index refers to the uh, level of multidimensional deprivations. But um, it's better to look at the... Um, Uh, look at the graph and, and talk about it. And these are the basic, and then also I think I wanted to look at how people differ by the subgroup level. So for instance, if you look at men, more men are without MLB than women. So 40.7% of men are without MLB while women is 37%, right? And then they are also higher in the average in adipose score. Well, it's better to see it with the graph in this way. So for instance, if we look at MLB headcount ratio by gender and age group, um, for men, it's, it's quite consistent up to uh, age 65 and 69, but it, it, the, the, the ratio of people without MLB starts to increase when, as they get older. And I think that there may be something happening around this age, otherwise uh, it's sudden change is very interesting. And also another one is for women, it, it, it improves, con it, it increases consistently. And after age mid-70, uh, the people without um, MLB is more than people with MLB. So, I, so, and then when we look at the insufficiency score, which shows that uh, the, the breadth of deprivation they experience, we can see that men in general for old, old, over the old ages, they have higher level of insufficiency, and then women, uh, and also the, the, not only the incidence of deprivation increases, but also the, the area, people lack sufficiency increases with the age. And these are the relative contributions from each indicator to overall imbalance, because I wanted to see how, which area changes uh, with age. But for instance, this yellow line is the cognitive activity, We see that um, in the in the young age group, young, younger older group, the cognitive activity has the highest contribution. But in the later one, in the in the oldest group, the out and about and then productive activity has the higher contribution. So 
this is the same graph, but this does show you more clearly. So this is relative contribution, and it reflects the way I applied. So for instance, the sedentary activity is actually very, very high in terms of um, the people experience sedentary is very high, but because it's half-weighted, it, because it consists um, with the physical activity, they consist one dimension. That's why it, uh, it shows like this. But we can see that the physical activity, social activity, and the time with others, the contribution does not vary much across the age group. But the productive activity and um, lacking out and about, these are the dimensions that increase with for the older people, the oldest older group. <coughs> And when we look at the MLB headcount ratio by socioeconomic status, we can see that um, having higher income actually shows the <coughs> lower level of people without MLB. So income is positively related, associated with uh, having achieved MLB, and education as well. So we can see there is some social gradients to it. Although this is activity which you have some kind of uh, discretion, so and when we look at the average inadequate score by income group, we also see that the highest income group not only has the um, smallest number of people without MLB, but if they have, if they did not meet this um, MLB threshold, but they don't miss by much. But if in the lowest income group, their their level of um, insufficiency is also high. So um, this is the structure we build by economic activity status. I think we could skip that because I have some interesting ones later, which is health status and then NLB. Because you know, because it's activity and it, we are I'm dealing with older people, people would think, well, healthy people do more activity. So we don't know which affects which, right? But in this case, um, even though you ha you report that yourself assess health is fair we see the this difference between the level of um, people with and without MLB between fair and good health men and women. So that means having this physical ability do, to do activities does not, is not the only factor that affects your activity, uh, the, your daily activity level. So when I looked at the relationship between reaching multidimensional life balance and self-assessed health, I, I see a positive relationship. For instance, this woman, a hypothetical person, who's aged 63, retired, and not in a couple with low education and long-term health problems, so usually we can see that she is a disadvantaged person in, 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 in such term. But if she had maintained um, MLB, the probability that she would report poor health uh, relative to the very good health Fall to fall from 24 to 13. So I think I have. Some, so we could say that um, with caution, having multidimensional life balance have a positive relationship with um, good health. So, but I wanted to also test the cutoff point I picked. It has a um, has a robust meaning, and also I wanted to see whether this assumption of linearity and the thresh threshold approach have uh, um, any empirical support evidence. So what I did was I deferred this level of inadequacy cutoff point 
And then, so if, if this 80%, that means this person is not reached sufficiency in 80% of the weighted indicators. And then the odds ratio, the, the possibility of reporting poor health is very high. And it decreases with, if you do, if you do better, 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 then the um, possibility, the odds ratio reduces. But after 40%, which is the cutoff point I picked, it doesn't really matter. So what this basically um, suggests, I think, is that um, unlike the traditional approach that they say you have to do a lot, if you do, if you do meet this minimum threshold, afterwards how much you do doesn't really matter. So I think it's, it, rather than maximization, I think it should be threshold-based approach. And I also looked at what are the determinants of achieving multi-dimensional life balance and being women compared to men and then being young old rather than old old and so higher education and being in a couple and in better health are related to multi-dimensional life balance. But one thing puzzled me is one person household. I don't know why living alone has a better chance of achieving um, MLB. So conclusion. Um, so the reason I developed this measure is to, to, to measure this overall achievement of individual across the recommended daily activity domain. And also wanted to identify older people with multiple deprivations in terms of daily activities. And also I wanted to understand the structure of imbalance and find out the policy implication. And also being this headline figure, um, to extend this work to cross-country and cross-time comparison. And also, um, I think one thing I, I'm very happy that was I, I tried to apply the AF method to the time diary and daily activity dimension. Although this is not directly related to poverty, I think it has some potential to, to be an added dimension. And also, uh, more importantly, rather than activity maximization, I think we need to think of the threshold effect. If you reach the minimum, you would be uh, better off than but not doing anything. Then also, it's important to reflect the heterogeneity of older people and their ability to adapt and compensate to the loss and challenges in later life. So, um, for instance, it should be different from the um, traditional approach. We need to gain something, right? In, in this case, for instance, the 44% of older people in the sample was identified as spending too much time alone, but only 20% of them were without MLB. That means I think although these people spend more time alone, but they are doing something else as well, so they can, they, and then they have a better link, link with the better health. And 30% were lack cognitive activity, but only 19% of them were also not doing the other things. So I think that the take-home message is lacking some activities can be a matter of preference or personal choice or the social condition, but if you don't do anything in the multiple dimensions simultaneously, I think that can be a sign of problem in adapt making adaptation to later life. And another thing I find it interesting is, although this is just the beginning of a research, this opens up discussion. So now whenever I talk with people, they think of which dimension we need to think about, which, what is the sufficient level of this activity as a minimum for the society. So I think this is an interesting um, contribution of the research because it opens up the discussion.
Thank you.